Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC as we are wrapping up fall camp. Game week is next week, but we still still got plenty, plenty to discuss here on Gators Breakdown. And to help me on this episode... My good friend Neil Blackman from Saturday Down South, putting out plenty of content for those guys in previewing the season for the Gators as well. Neil, man, thanks for hopping on Gators Breakdown. Thanks, Dave. Always good to to be on. Yeah, so uh, we'll uh, we'll get into some of the, the content you put out there for Saturday Down South, but uh, you sent me a list of every, you know pretty much what, few articles, few, uh, three, four articles in the last uh, couple of weeks or so previewing the, the 2021 season for the Gators. So uh, give our listeners out there, uh, you know, how they can uh, go out there and, and find your preview for the Gators. Yeah, I mean, uh, so Saturday Down South's just been running, um, and appreciate that. They've been running previews of every team uh, in the league for the last week and a half. Florida was, was August 23rd, so it's just a bunch of pieces that, that I did and then one from uh, Connor O'Gara. Uh, but three pieces I wrote, one on the defensive backs, one that was five biggest concerns that I have heading into the season, and then another one where I outlined three different best-case and worst-case scenarios. And that one was um, – I mean, I thought that was going to be a kind of a chore to write, and it ended up being probably the most fun of them. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure naturally some of it will come in here for this episode. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Look, Garrick McGee talked to the media for the first time this fall camp, and, hey, look, he left very little doubt. Emory Jones is quarterback number one. That was the quote coming from Garrick McGee there. Uh, but, Neil, you also had a nice piece on the secondary you just teased. We'll get into that, too. We got to hear from Wesley McGriff uh, on the, in the defensive backfield, Rashad, Rashad Torrance as well. You know, that guy filling in right there beside Trey Dean back there in that secondary safety role for the Gators. So plenty, plenty to discuss here on Gators Breakdown as we wrap up fall camp and head to game week next week versus FAU. 
So, all right, Neil, let's get into it. We'll get uh, some sound. We've got plenty, plenty of sound bites here for, for this episode of Gators Breakdown. We'll start with Garrick McGee, and here we go. You can hear it from the man himself, Emory, quarterback number one. Emory reps the majority of the reps with the ones. Um, at some point in the practice session, um, Anthony will go with the ones so that he's comfortable with the number one center and communicating with the number one center. Um, and then, so those two guys, they get about the same amount of reps, but Emory is the number one quarterback, so he gets most of his reps with the ones. Anthony gets most of the reps with the twos, but at some point in practice, they switch. There it is. So, <laughs> we no, no more wondering, Neil. We, we got it from the quarterback coach himself. You know, we'll see if Dan Mullen reiterates that on Monday with, with, with the you know pregame or first game press conference uh, there for, for, for the Gators. But and there's been a lot of talk, and we'll, we'll continue that talk just a little bit here as well. But a lot of talk with AR and how well he's doing in the in the scrimmages. Uh, it's raised a lot of questions inside of Gator Nation, outside of Gator Nation. Of uh, you know, is there some quarter some some sort of quarterback battle, some sort of quarterback controversy at Florida? McGee put that to rest. Yeah, good problem to have, I think. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, good problem to have that that Anthony Richardson is maybe, you know, certainly if you were going to list like five guys who've had the best fall camp, he's on any list, right? So I think that's really positive. Um, and it also reminds me that, to to paraphrase Dave, never dull moment in Gator Nation, uh, you know, the – it seems like we're entering another season where maybe the most popular player on the team is the backup quarterback. I'm on the fan base. Um, you know, it, last year, before the season at least, there were there were people that thought that Emory Jones should be the starting quarterback because he yep. was more made Florida more versatile, made Florida more multiple. Um, now, you know, you hear a lot of discussion that that the team moves a little better with AR. Uh, out there than they do with Emory. But here's what I know about Emory Jones. Uh, highest rated recruit that Dan Mullen's ever had as a head coach to play the position. Um, people didn't recruit him just to run the ball. Uh, he had offers from all but two programs in the Power Five. He has a huge arm. Uh, and the reports are that if there's one thing that's markedly better in fall camp, it's intermediate throws, which is what I think a lot of us are really concerned about because they're pretty important to, to Dan Mullen's offense, uh, really to any offense in modern college football. So if all that's true, then you have the highest rated recruit that Mullen's ever had playing for him as a head coach who's had three years to learn the offense. And you have, I think one of the two or three best coaches in college football like catering offense to catering his offense to what his quarterback does best. And we have two decades of proof of that. Um, so Florida fans should be excited that they get to see Emory Jones under center. And I'm sure that when Florida plays Florida Atlantic, and honestly, I think if we're all real honest, when Florida plays USF, we'll get a look at Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that would definitely be there. Uh, kind of, now, kind of going to your point there uh, of points of the offense that, you know, Emory Jones needs to get more comfortable in, developing in. Uh, McGee spoke on that as well. But, you know, the development of both of these guys, Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, and also we'll hear right here from Anthony Richardson on growing and learning with his role within the offense. I think they're doing a really good job. Um, I think it started with them 
you know, gaining a better understanding of our offensive system, better understanding of defensive structure and how protections and everything works. And then your confidence start to build. And then you have the ability to, you know, activate your leadership skills. And um, I think they're doing a good job, you know, a really good job so far. Well, I always think that, um, you know, one thing I really respect about um, how Coach Mullen is doing things and I learned last year is that, you know, everybody that's ready to play um, gets to run out there and play. Um, you know, there's times in games where, you know, it's an important part of the game in the first quarter of the game and all the backups are out there. And I think that that's his vision of building depth in the team. Um, it gives everybody a chance to get prepared for the game and have passion about their preparation because they know at some point they're going to be out on the field. Um, you know, so I think it's, you know, a really good thing for our program. And that's how we'll go about it, um, you know, with our two guys that are ready to play right now. His footwork, his understanding of the passing game, um, the ability to throw the type of ball that he needs at the right time, um, you know, understanding angles and how um, defenders are dropping and what their shoulders are telling them, um, you know, getting pre-snaps reads of the defense and then making post-snap decisions, you know, based on what happens once you get the ball. Um, I think that's what I would say. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to ask him, um, you know, where he feels like he's developed the most. But, you know, I just think from spring ball to now, um, he has he, he understands the details of our offense and he has an understanding of defensive structure. And I think that he's growing because he's starting to understand the timing and, you know, how all the angles work when you're trying to move the ball down the field. It's going to be about the same as, um, you know, when Emory's out there in regards to what we're doing, you know, to move the ball in the field. I think, you know, coach has done a good job with the installation and, you know, who we're going to be as an offense. Um, and both guys can execute um, that plan. Um, so I think we'll, you know, just continue business as usual. Um, you know, when Anthony's out there, he's going to be expected to execute the offense at the same level um, that Emory executes the offense. And, I mean, that should be the expectation because, you know, he has that skill set. I feel like I've grown a lot throughout this fall count. You know, uh, becoming a better passer. Uh, I feel like I've grown a lot uh, when it comes to reading defenses, you know. Uh, I feel like that's something I always struggled with, uh, even in high school. Like, I knew the basics and everything, but, like, knowing the advanced things, I didn't really know that as much. But Coach McGee, he's been helping us a lot with that. And I feel like I've uh, prepared enough to know certain things on defense that have helped me excel on the field. And I feel like that's the biggest thing that I have uh, accomplished so far. And I think that's going to get me ready for the field this year. Honestly, my role, I, I believe, is – just to go out there and, and be cleaned up, you know, kind of. Uh, I feel like whenever Emory needs a break and they need me to come out there, I have to bring the same intensity that Emory's bringing, uh, bring the same uh, energy, just all that, just be the next cleanup guy. So whenever um, he does his thing and I, I come in there, just the one-two punch, you know, uh, just never let off the gas. Uh, Emory, he's an electri electrifying guy. Uh, he's very talented. He has a strong arm. Uh, I feel like I have, I have the same things. I'm capable of doing the same thing that he's doing. So uh, I feel bad for a lot of teams this year because once he does his thing, uh, I'm going to come in. I'm going to try to follow up and do the same thing. So that's why I call it the one-two punch.
the one-two punch deal. And I tell you, I mean, hey, look, Florida's had a great one-two punch in the past. We always go back to 06 in the comparison of two quarterbacks and a one-two punch there. Hey, if this one-two punch can be anything like that, Gator fans should feel pretty good <laughs> in those hands. But look, you know, the, the common theme there from McGee and the, and the common theme there from AR is look, basically building on the little things. You know, we know the physical talent of these guys. That's pretty much not question. Can they apply that physical talent to the smaller parts of playing quarterback? Can can you get the play? Can you get the uh, <clears throat> right play in? Can you make sure everybody knows the checks? Can you make sure everybody's on the same page? Getting you know, and getting out of the huddle and looking to the sideline or or however you need to do it, making sure everybody's on the same page, making sure all the checks are right, and you go and you count the defenders in the box and you make sure you got the right play called and, and you got the offense in an advantageous situation. Those are things we really don't know about these quarterbacks. Uh, you know, Emory has been there, of course, a lot more. He's been in the program a lot, but still, that hasn't had to do that over and over again. Hasn't had sustained drives, sustained plays to see, you know, it, are there tendencies that defenses can keep up or you know, catch up on? It, just We don't know that. And you know, that, that's the biggest question we have. Physical talent, not so much, but these little things that add up to say, all right, can they be – can their mental traits be – the same level as their physical traits. Yeah, I mean, Emory's played quite a bit. Uh, he second series in the SEC championship game, much to the chagrin of all of us, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you know, so he's been in big spots. But like you said, it's about the consistency of that, and really, very minimal big spots on the road, which will be required, um, obviously, this season. Two things that were really interesting to me in in that. And I mean, I think you're you're spot on on, you know, what we don't know. What's interesting to me, Dave, was two things that Garrett McGee said. One, the offense doesn't change, whether it's Jones or Richardson. So Florida can continue to show the same looks under either quarterback, which to me, I think is is interesting. And that's something that Florida hasn't had with a one two really um, at least under Mullen as either offensive coordinator or head coach. Uh, So you're getting the two highest rated quarterback recruits Mullen's ever had as a head coach going one and two, and they can come out of the same look. So if Anthony Richardson does something better than Embry Jones, at least early in the year, uh, he can put in Anthony Richardson to run those things and they can do it out of the same looks, which I think is really cool. Uh, and that's that's going to give Florida a little bit of a wrinkle that they haven't had before. The second yeah, thing was yeah, before you and before, before yeah. you go on there, think about it. We had a glimpse of it and almost had it. What two thousand seven? Yeah, Cam Newton comes in for, yeah. for Tim Tebow, and yeah. but that, you know that was very very minimal. Uh, and we counted on having that the very next year, and we all yeah. know what happened. But um, you know it does. That's about as close as you've been able to see a one-two punch that have very similar play styles. Right. Yeah, and that would have been the only one-two that Mullins ever coached mm-hmm. that that had higher recruiting rankings too. So, <laughs> um, yeah. it, you know, it's it's exciting. It's exciting to have that that opportunity to not have to change your offense when you bring in the other quarterback. Defenses can't lock in and say, "Hey, Richardson's just going to run a a power read," right? Right. Um, that's not what Florida's going to be. The second thing to me was reading defenses. And I think when you talk about why Emory Jones is the first is, is the number one quarterback, it's, you know, I do think to some extent the staff, you know, appreciates the fact that he was patient and that he waited around. I also think they want to win games. So if Richardson was 
far and away better than Jones, he'd probably be playing. And I bet that the difference really fundamentally is that that reading defense's piece. Emery's had three full seasons to get better at it in practice. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something that in G. Allen Taylor's article in The Athletic, Emory Jones and coaches mentioned, it's just night and day uh, different for Emory and how he's seeing the game and reading things so much faster. Um, you know, I don't think anybody expects him to process information the way that Kyle Trask did, right? That's what made Kyle so special. Uh, but I think, you know, if Emory is ahead of Anthony Richardson on that, front and the physical traits are similar, then yeah, I mean, Emory Jones should be quarterback one. And like I said, at the top of the show, we should be excited to see that. Yeah. I want to, I want to go to one point you brought up too. Don't expect these guys to be Kyle Trask. They, they are different, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. the, the, a lot of practice reports out there and scrimmage reports as well, you know, they struggle with accuracy. The accuracy is not there. We know that. I mean, that shouldn't be a surprise. You know, I mean, Kyle Trask, and, and think about it. These guys may get better in that situation, but the, the jump Kyle Trask made in that area and other areas from 2019 to 2020 but probably basically became because he was on the field. He was gaining experience, learning the things that he needed to improve on. He took all that in an offseason and improved in every facet of his game from 2019 to 2020. You know, we shouldn't expect these guys to come in right away and, and pinpoint accuracy and throwing the ball where it needs to be, where only the receiver can catch it. I mean, that, that comes with time. Uh, Embry Jones, you know, had time, limited time in practice, limited time in, in, in game situations. But, you know, if we're expecting these guys to, you know, if, 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 if a lot of the feedback is, well, you know, the accuracy isn't like it was with Kyle Trask, well, no duh. I mean, it's not going to be. And that's not necessarily a hit on these guys. Their games are different. You know, they have – bigger, livelier arms in contrast did. You know, you, there's plus and minuses when you want to compare uh, separate styles of these quarterbacks here. And one more thing he said, Garrick Garrett said, uh, you know, bringing up uh, and playing the backups and Mullen having backups ready and having a whole group of guys ready. No, I can't wait till, you know, and, and, and I think it's going to happen. And I'm not saying I can't wait till this because I want to see Emory come off the field. But what I expect to see in this Remember last year when Mullen would sub in a whole second set of receivers and bring a whole other running back in? Basically, every skill player on the field was replaced with a backup set. Might see that with quarterback this year, too. With those second receivers, with that second, third running back, here comes Anthony Richardson. You probably got a completely different offense. Now, it may look the same as they said here, but as far as who's on the field, for a second drive, it may be who you expect to see out there. But third drive of the game, it may be – a whole set of receivers, a different running back, and a different quarterback. Yeah, that's a great point, Dave. It's not, not really something I thought of, but I think especially with with younger quarterbacks, and I mean it's hard to think of Emory as a young quarterback, but yeah. just in terms of being the starting quarterback, it's square one. So there are going to be players and receivers that both these guys have cultivated relationships with in the offseason and summer camp and fall camp because of where they're repping. And I don't think Florida's receiver depth chart – this is why I think you make such a great point. Florida's receiver depth chart is not like it has been in the year past where there's like stratification between who are the best guys and then the guys chasing in camp. I mean, now it's just this is a roster full of receivers. we got a lot of blue-chip dudes, which is great. Yeah, one through um, six is a lot closer than one through six last year. Yeah, I mean, or even two years ago when it was yeah. like the, the seniors – and then somebody else is going to catch the ball occasionally. 
<laughs> yeah, good point there. So I'm eager to see if that's if that's part of the platooning uh, that we saw last year in certain situations for the Gators offense. Uh, one more last thought here from AR and his relationship with Henry Jones and what he's learned from him. That's my guy. You know, uh, he's been there throughout my recruitment. Uh, he's like a big brother to me. Uh, he's also my teammate, and he's also a leader. So you got to support the leaders as well. You know, um, you never know because it's a lot of pressure. Uh, just being a quarterback, just being a college athlete, you know, uh, it's a lot of pressure. So sometimes you got to have that moral support and your background for people. And I, I feel like I have to be that guy sometimes. I just trust the process. You know, uh, I've I've learned that in high school, you know, just trust the process because not everything is always going to be uh, sweet for you. Uh, just trusting the process and just letting everything work out in your favor. Um, seeing Emory do that is is it's encouraging, you know, because uh, you never know that's going to be you in that situation. So trust in the process. Patience is a virtue, Neil, uh, with, with these Gators quarterbacks. We saw it with Kyle Trask. We're hearing it from Anthony Richardson's about Emory Jones this time uh, there. So, you look, a lot of uh, camaraderie there uh, with, with these quarterbacks, and you can tell how close they are. Look, a lot of people could, a lot of people out there may label it a quarterback controversy, but controversy is probably the wrong word to use when talking about these two guys. Yeah, and I, it's becoming cultural, which is really good to see the the patience at the quarterback position. I mean, we talked, you know, you heard so Gator fans were probably tired of hearing the the Kyle Trask story by the end of the season, yeah. but but I mean, you talk about Kyle Trask and and his patience, his willing to stick around, really. Uh, you know, I understand why Felipe Franks did what he did, uh, but I think even though he got the chance to play and you know, really probably played too early in a in a terrible situation uh, under Jim McElwain, I mean the fact that he kind of had the toughness and the mental fortitude to come back and play for a whole new coach and a whole new offense under a different set of demands. Um, so with Felipe, you have to throw him in there, and then now Emory and and now Ar waiting around. Um, you know, and, and AR waiting around knowing that, that Emory Jones could be the starting quarterback next season too, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think speaks to that culture. And, and you know, my last point would be circling back to something you said that, um, you know, yeah, don't expect him to be Kyle Trask, but we keep hearing like this, well, Florida, you know, a, a popular narrative in opposing fan bases and even in some of the media is, this idea that Florida will be like one dimensional. And I just think that just really, really uh, ignores the reality that these two guys were recruited as, as guys who could really throw the ball effectively and had big arms, big live arms. This isn't Nick Fitzgerald, right? Right. This isn't uh, two star slash three star who has best season was a 54% accuracy rating with throws that were mostly at the line of scrimmage. This isn't going to be that, right? I, I think you get you're in the more you're more in the DAC range here of that fifty seven to sixty, and those numbers for these two guys would be really good because yeah. of what they can do what they can do with their legs, and you know I just think Florida's offense will be different this year. I don't think it'll be as prolific. You're not going to be when you are missing probably the best tight end in the history of college football, and your first year starting quarterback as opposed to a Heisman finalist a bunch of other things doesn't mean Florida can't be really efficient on offense. Mm -hmm. And I still think with these two guys, Florida has a chance to be really multiple, which you can't say they've been that as good as Trask and Pitts and Swain and all those guys were. Uh, So 
you know, starts up front, of course, but excited to see both these guys play. Different values, different values, Neil, and that's that's what this offense can be. Uh, different values and, and prolific in its own way <laughs> is the way we can look at this offense. Uh, all right, we got to hear from Trent Whittemore as well, uh, and he had some good things about how these quarterbacks can change what the wide receivers do. No two, no two guys are the same, and that's not a bad thing. That's just how football works, you know. So I think that uh, adjusting to to Emory or Ant, you know, those those guys they can scramble, they can run. You know, they can make guys miss, extend plays. So you just always have to have it in the back of your mind, okay, I'm going to run a route, and then, you know, he could always scramble on any on any given play. And you just have to remember that. Remember, your you know, your scramble rules. And then also just be willing to get on blocks. You know, sometimes they're going to pull it down, and they're going to take off, and, hey, it's my job. I'm already 15 yards downfield. Let me find somebody and get on them and make their life easier. So I think it's an adjustment, but, you know, not a crazy one. It's just, you know, what what's the best way to help the team win? And, if those guys are going to be able to run around, then we can, you know, scramble for them or block for them or, you know, however we can we can help them out. That's what we'll do. An adjustment, Neil, from going from a pocket passer quarterback like Kyle Trask where, hey, you run your route and the ball is going to be right on you. could be a little bit different this year. Now, that's still a potential of this offense, but if the ball's not on you when you know your route's finished, you better be looking who the block, or you better be looking for where the quarterback is because you're going to have to turn around and help him out at some point. You know, sit down in a zone, fight back to the quarterback, uh, and making that completion easier for him if he's scrambling around. So there's a, a whole lot of different strategy of playing wide receiver uh, for a, a dual threat scrambling, a quarterback that can scramble more so than a guy who's going to take a three, five, seven step drop and the ball's out of his hand. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great. It's a great point. It's interesting. Um, I also think, you know, I don't think it's just because of that was the NFL prototype and Dan Mullen and Urban Meyer recognized that when they recruited wide receivers. This is just something that Dan does in recruiting. Um, You know, the fan base laments some of Mullen's recruiting losses. I think one area where he has always been terrific is recruiting players on the perimeter. Uh, and it's a specific type of player that he fe- he feels creates matchup issues in a spread offense, whether it's a run-dominant spread or pass-dominant spread. He wants a bigger physical guy who can transition into that blocker when he needs to and who also can break off a route and make a play and win a 50-50, right? And there are a bunch of guys on this roster. You know, when Dan Mullen was super excited on signing day about Jamarcus Weston, I don't think it was because he really thought Jamarcus Weston was like Kadarius Tony chasing rabbits in the muck. I think it was, I think it was like Jamarcus is a dude who can knock a guy on his butt in a couple years, and also is going to be a real problem on a broken play, right? Like I really, I really think some of that is what goes into this. So it's really interesting stuff from from Trent Whittemore and. He almost quotes you verbatim when he just said, uh, different values, but that's football. Yeah. Um, and you got to, uh, you got to look at this. Um, and I saw it. Jacob Copeland is 6'4, 204. Mm-hmm. And one of the strongest players on the team, you look at his physique. He's one of the smaller wide receivers <laughs> when you look, when you go and look at it and go into your point of, you know, what Florida's bringing to the table here at the wide receiver position. And I mean, you got guys that are six, three or taller, six, four taller that uh, make Jacob Copeland look a little small compared, compared to him. <laughs> so, I mean, that's uh that's going to your point of some physical wide receivers. And hey, look, it might be beneficial this year when 
you're probably going to be tasked to run the ball just a little bit more. Those wide receiver blocks are going to be very imperative from breaking some bigger plays uh, for these quarterbacks and these running backs uh, as well. So Trent Whittemore, we just heard from him, but uh, remember he got injured last year. It would look very promising those first couple games of the year. Uh, and look, I somebody I really expect to break out here, but it is, here, here's Whittemore bouncing back from his injury. It was extremely painful. You know, one of the most painful injuries I've had. Um, and it was, you know, bothersome throughout the rest of the year, if we're being honest. Um, yeah. So that was just, I mean, it was just annoying more than anything. It takes a while to heal completely. It's always messing with you. But uh, I just, you know, give a huge shout out to Coach Savage. Uh, he really built me back up this summer in a way that, you know, eliminated a lot of that pain. And, you know, halfway through the summer, I, I felt, you know, completely back to myself, working out hard. Um, nothing was limited. And then um, throughout fall camp, I've been, you know, full go the whole time uh, without pain. So just a huge shout out to the strength and training staff for that. I probably should have led in better to that there, uh, Neil, but a, I believe a broken rib and a punctured lung or, so, or something like that was the, what he was dealing with. So just imagine trying to bounce back in the game of football with an injury like that. Uh, so that's what Trent Whittemore was dealing with. And you can kind of see why maybe the production wasn't there like we saw the first couple games uh, and looking very promising. I think it was nine or ten catches combined in those first couple games, if I remember mm-hmm. right. Uh, and, uh, you know, what he can bring to the table now as far as potential goes uh, for, for this. You know, and look, we were talking about platooning receivers earlier. That's what he was on the field. He was in that second set of receivers and then going out there and making plays versus Ole Miss and South Carolina in those first couple games last year. So, you know, good for him, uh, and he's going to provide him. He may be that third receiver behind Shorter and uh, in Copeland this year. You know, he's going to be in that top echelon of receivers for the Gators this year. Yeah, he is. He's a guy that uh, just gets open. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, I mean, when you're healthy, it's easier to, to figure out ways to get open when you know you're going to get hit. And I think, uh, I think a guy like Trent is somebody that, that Florida trusts in those routes where they're going to, they're going to take a hit. Um, you know, not as fast as Freddie Swain, but probably the guy on the roster that I would trust to get open. Uh, the most right now. And I say that with a lot of respect for all the stuff you hear about Jacob Copeland, you know, and I hope that, you know, the season is, is what people expect it to be. But yeah, I mean, I think Whittemore is going to be not just a big piece of the offense, but, but a pretty important one in terms of who is Florida's big time possession guy. Yeah. That's where I expect him to excel. Excel third and seven. He's, He's, he's probably the guy I think I'm looking for right now, you know, just from everything that yeah. I, I've heard and maybe seen for potential-wise. You know, he'll be in that slot, I think, a good bit more than he will be outside. So I, he's he's the guy I'm looking for with third and six, third and seven. Florida needs a first down to keep the chains moving. Throw it to him, eight yards, and you're good to go. Keep the chains moving. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, that's where I like him uh, as well. So, all right, now let's get to the point where you've really focused in on there. You're at articles at Saturday Down South. Wesley McGriff met with the media also this week. And, look, we know the issues back there in the secondary. Confidence, communication. Um, now for this year, youthfulness. A lot of youth back there in that Gator secondary. So we'll start here with Wesley McGriff on, uh, you know, if he had to work on getting the, the confidence back in the secondary. No, no, not at all. These young men, uh, they have a lot of confidence. And, uh, you know, I think they was eager to see what I had to offer when I joined the team. But the confidence was intact. Listen, to the culture here at the University of Florida is really great. We have a strong culture here. And so, uh, no, their confidence uh, wasn't shaking at all. 
Uh, and so uh, it was it was a joy to get in and begin to work with them. That's one thing that I constantly do and have done my entire career is that I coach a lot of confidence up, you know, because you have to be confident, you know, when you're going out and executing, especially in this league. Yeah, but their, their confidence wasn't shaking at all. I mean, these guys have a, a nice chip on their shoulder. Uh, they have tremendous work ethic. And the thing I, I like about them is that they love each other and uh, they're like brothers and they, they understand their strength in numbers. And they know together, we out there communicate, we're playing as one and uh, we, we can create a lot of synergy between each other and our confidence level will stay high. But no, not at all. Their confidence is not shaking at all. And I have to mention again, the culture here is very good. It's very strong. It's very conducive for us to go out and play at a high level and win football games. Neil, I'll say I'm surprised, man. Uh, there was one aspect, if there was one aspect I thought for this Gator secondary last year, they probably lost some confidence somewhere at least along the season. And look, but he, he brought up a couple terms that we have heard in the last month, dating back to SEC media days, um, and Todd Grantham uh, speaking to the media as well. The word synergy, for one, basically coming together and, and playing as one, but also – now, he didn't say it here, but I'm going to say it just because Mullins brought it up a couple of times. Independent contractors back there in that Gator secondary. Uh, so, you know, looking at McGriff here uh, and what he brought to the table, I am surprised that, you know, the I mean, granted, you know, you come to Florida, you, you, you come and play DB at Florida. There's a swagger. There's a certain confidence that comes with that. And, look, I'm not going to blame him if uh, the confidence did get lost at, at some point last year. So maybe, you know, it had come back up just a bit when McGriff was hired. But, you know, I do think that was an issue a, a little bit last year. But it is good to hear that it is not an issue right now. And, of course, games got to get played, and it's easy to say right now. But at least on the surface, at least what we're hearing right now is that, no, 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 these guys have a chip on their shoulder. They know the expectation. They're confident they can go out there and get it done. Yeah, I talked to – a couple of assistants for the piece I did at Saturday down South that I teased at the beginning. I talked to a couple of different players in that secondary, both upperclassmen. Um, so it probably gives away who they are since there's so few upperclassmen. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent journalism there, Neil. Um, so, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think pride would be the other word I'd use um, that they, they are wounded in terms of, of their pride. They, they see a team that was in the nineties and pass efficiency defense for the first time uh, in the program in 27 years. Uh, so that's not where you want to be. Um, you know, I wrote in 2018, Florida uh, was second in the country only to Alabama in terms of guaranteed money to NFL defensive backs They've fallen to fifth, even though they have 13 defensive backs on NFL rosters, as, as you and I are talking today. Mm. Um, you know, so that means that they're not getting as much guaranteed money. And a lot of that guaranteed money, I would add, is at, at present at least is wrapped up in Joe Hayden, whose days are, you know, numbered. Right. Not because not Joe hasn't been an all pro. He has just because father time always wins unless you're Tom Brady. So, you know, look. Uh, they bring in Wesley McGriff guy coached a defensive back unit that was fifth in the country in pass efficiency defense in 2019 fourth in S and P passing defense, which is a little bit different of a metric, but kind of uh, adjusted for opponent strength. And, you know, this guy knows what he's doing, um, has cultivated and developed NFL talent, uh, you know, left behind a secondary that, that has two players on the all SEC team, including Smoke Monday, who I think mm-hmm. 
is, is the best safety in the league. I know that he wasn't first team all SEC, but they don't all, we don't always get things right on our <laughs> balance. Um, you know, if you watch the games, he's the yeah. best safety in the league. Um, so he has, he's done a great job coaching us. And I know Jules Montanar is going to be involved in all that too, but I really think Wesley McGriff is the guy they brought in to kind of shepherd this secondary back together. And, and I think they have a great chance to be very good. And it's kind of cool that when we talk about the synergy and, you know, independent contractors or not, I mean, there are stories out of fall camp that I don't want to say like Avery Helm blindsided anybody, but mm-hmm. when we wrote the stories about who was going to play at corner in late July, it was like Jaden Hill, Kyrie Elam, Jason Marshall Jr. is going to play. Yeah. Who's gonna, who else is going to play? Who else? Well, Avery, right. Avery, Avery Helm is going to start now, probably. You know, and if he doesn't, he's going to be on the field on snap three. So, you know, it's good. They built this depth. Uh, if you look at the twenty four seven talent composite, Dave, it's one of the five most talented secondaries in the country, um, top to bottom, and that includes guys like Corey Collier who aren't going to play much this season unless it's on mm-hmm. special teams, but. Uh, you know, that's exciting to see. Um, you know, I'd rather play young safeties that are blue chip guys with all respect to Donovan Steiner, who I thought was an intelligent player that played very hard. Um, or, you know, but just there limited. are guys just limited. Yeah. Just limited. Right. Um, I don't think that there are athleticism limitations to the guys that they're going to put back there this season. Um, and I also, you know, I continue to be high on the trading story. I think it's a wonderful story. And I also think, you know, of course, it helps to have an All-American on one side of the field. Um, and Kyrie Elam was becoming that player a year ago. And by the end of the season, certainly was that player. But, you know, Florida missed C.J. Henderson at times early in the year. Certainly in the Texas A&M game, they missed him very much. Um, so bullish on the Florida defense. I know I'm on an island on that to some extent. Uh, but – one reason I'm bullish on him isn't the rebuilt front seven that everybody's talking about. It's that I expect this secondary to take a big step forward. You know, with the biggest step forward they can make is communication, you know, and that was a, a mystery last year of, of why there was so much miscommunication with all the experience that you had back there on the back end. You had guys playing a lot of football for the Gators. For whatever reason, the communication was still lacking. From game one to game 12, Florida was playing. It just looked like they were lost at times on defense. So we get to hear from Wesley McGriff here on communication. Also, Rashad Torrance, the safety back there with Trey Dean, speaking on it as well. It's essential to uh, to make sure that you're communicating on the back end. And I think the communication starts in the meeting room. So, so the guys are doing a tremendous job of communicating in the room, in the meeting room, and getting on the same page, which builds confidence once we get on the grass. So... We make certain that we rehearse everything in the meeting room, go through all our checks, uh, go through our on-the-field checks, and uh, make certain that we're loud and we're vocal in the meeting room so that when we get on the grass, there's no second guessing. If you walk by the meeting room, you'll hear, you know, with calls, and if you peek in there, you see the hand signals, you know, so, uh, you know, I got to teach them how to be like Hollywood a little bit and be like actors and, uh, and make sure we call those signals out and make sure we hand signal it. And the biggest thing is not only just communicate with your teammate, but make sure your teammate co-signs off on it. That means mm-hmm. now he has it, that he has a check. And I'll tell the safeties over and over again, do not stop communicating until your teammate co-sign off on it.
When we sign off and co-sign on just about anything, if you ask one person to go to the restroom, the whole room going to uh, co-sign and sign off on it. Like that, just simple stuff like that kind of goes onto the field, and we just use simple, simple, simple little tidbits to kind of, uh, kind of uh, uh, nag, nag off each other, and and that kind of translates to the field. But I, I really do think that our communication has gotten better. Music to Gator fans' ears, Neil. We we got we got to see it translate, but uh, at least at least it's being discussed. At least it's being known. At least you know it's not going to be a surprise that hey, you know, maybe it was a surprise last year, and it was just too little, too late to to you know gather the troops. But we know it was a focus in spring. We know it was a focus in fall camp. Communication has to be better. Everybody has to be on the same page. We have to play as one. The synergy, everything we've heard for the past month. Now it has to come to fruition. And look, they, they know about it. You hear them talking about it. Uh, they got to communicate just to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, just, uh, you know, the, a running joke there uh, from Rashad Torrance. But uh, look, at, at least they're working on it. They know it's an issue. And they're doing it even sounds like some maybe fun things to, you know, help get it across that, hey, this is how important it is. And if you can't start, look, if you're not lined up, the play's already bad. I mean, there's not much you can do to begin with. So at least get that part of the game down. Defense probably makes a massive improvement just being on just just by being on the same page. Uh, I'm sure they do. And one thing I put in my article was that um, they were 13th in the SEC in defending passes of 20 yards or more. That is Whew. that is really about communication when you're that poor at it and you have as much talent as Florida does. Um, by the way, in 2019, they finished 83rd nationally in that stat. Mm. So if, if you get into the fifties, your defense is going to be significantly better. Like you don't even have to be, you don't even have to be elite at it. By the way, Auburn and Wesley McGriff secondary 2019 first in the country in that statistic. The yeah, best. What's, the best. What's, that, what's that statistic again? That is uh passes. Uh, defending passes of 20 yards or more. Whew. So, you know, last year Auburn wasn't as good at it, um, mostly because they were banged up up front all season. Um, and they, their secondary had to do a lot of covering. Um, but, you know, I think – so I think you're right. And, and that's – you know, that's going to be big. I also think the independent contractor, the guys trying to make big plays and gambling – uh, when sometimes the simple cover will do that, that's something that I expect to see a little bit more of uh, players being contented. And then hopefully um, schematically yep. uh, Todd Grantham checks that box because you still have to put these young men in, in a position to succeed. You know, if you're blitzing from Micanopy with your safety, <laughs> then it becomes difficult sometimes for the other guy to hold up. And so the coaches have to hold up their end of the bargain too from a scheme standpoint. <laughs> or, from, you know, or from the opposite hash of a cornerback. <laughs> and that's the late, that's the, I call that the Lake city blitz. Oh, yeah. So yeah, exactly. But that's part about being on the same page. There's, you can you cannot tell me both cornerbacks that game. It was what versus Tennessee, I think where both cornerbacks are blitzing. And one is from the opposite hash. You can't tell me that's the play call. So, it was not. Yeah. No, so, it's not the play call. Right. The communication has to be there. And whether it look and whether it comes from the side, the coaching staff, and the you know down from the booth, down to the sideline, from the sideline to the players. Look, it's not just all on the players. I mean, communication comes from the, the staff as well. So you know, going to your point, 
whether it be a simplifying of the defense, whether it just be retooling how you call plays in, you know, it, the communication has to be there. And it's not just the players, but it's on the staff as well. So good for them to be being able to identify it and know that it's a problem and working on it uh, to, to fix it here. So, um, you know, another thing in your article, you know, it, it's about getting back to elite status, getting back to DBU. And Florida's going to have to rely on a lot of youth uh, to, 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 to live up to that hype again. So McGriff here you know, talks about how it is working with the young players and kind of, you know, the, uh, the, the, what he likes to use to compare here is, you know, filling up a cup. The cup never gets full because this game is evolving. And so just when you think that cup was full, then you look down and, and some of it's evaporated and you got to keep filling the cup back up. And so, you know, every week uh, you start back over filling that cup up because you'll play a different opponent. You're going to play guys with different skill set. You're going to have a little bit of tweaking your scheme. And so, uh, you know, what I meant by that is that, you know, when they're young, you know, you have an opportunity now to develop them. You know, you have an opportunity now to, to really help them with their fundamentals and technique and to help them understand how to watch film, you know, uh, how to take notes and be solid in the classroom. But then when you get into game week and start game planning, that's a different animal. And uh, so when you get to the game week now, the, the IQ is really going to have to come alive. The football knowledge is going to really come alive. So you give them a foundation, a base, you know, so that when you get to that game plan a week, they have somewhere, some place to hang their hat at. Now, what I took from that is he might like working with young guys because now he gets to build them and build them in his image. He doesn't have to build them, you know, you know, take them down and build them back up in his image. He gets to work with them while they're so young and, and, and build them right away in his image. Boy, I think that's a great point, Dave. I, look, when you come into a new spot, too, that's got to be so much better yeah. than just be, breaking down bad habits or what you perceive as bad habits. And, I mean, I'm not trying to kick dirt on, on dead graves at all, but, you know, I know – and I know that the Jules Montanar hire was debated pretty aggressively in the circles of social media that debate those things 24-7. Um but there seems like the synergy that you talked about, the discussions of pride, the way that they are working as a collective, all these things are signs that a change was needed on the staff. And I think you have to be comfortable and happy with who they've brought in, in terms of one with a huge proven track record and another with uh, Nick Saban pixie dust on him um, that at least is young and hungry and, and, you know, have something to prove. And if you get a job like coaching DBs at Florida on your resume, that's a big deal. And, and look, I mean, the DBU thing is real. And, and it's also in, in this era of name, image, likeness. I mean, these players don't have to be independent contractors anymore. Dave, they can go out and play well and the money will come because they're at one of the places that's DBU. And that's something I mentioned in my article was like, Florida doesn't have the trademark on DBU. I think that, the court fight on that would be pretty hilarious. Right. But um, <laughs> they certainly are at a place where if you're an elite set, if you're an elite piece in the secondary, like Kyer Elam, you know, there's no reason why your favorite restaurant in Gainesville isn't signing you up for an ad. Yeah. If you're, if you're Rashad Torrance and you come from Marietta and you say your favorite restaurant is the flying biscuit, like he said recently, you know, like, I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure Fly Biscuit Cafe would be happy to hype Rashad Torrance after he lays somebody out in the Tennessee game. Like, it's a great place to play defensive back in the era of name, image, likeness. But you got to go out and produce. 
Absolutely. That's what it's about. You know, the Gators, first time we get to see it next week. We'll get finally it's the game week, Florida versus FAU under the, under the lights in the swamp. And, you know, I mean, I was just on, um, I, I was on another podcast yesterday, you know, and we were talking about Florida. And it's just like, look, we haven't got to see this team since the Cotton Bowl and a lot of sour, sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. I mean, at least some fan bases got a spring game and they got some open spring practices. Same in fall camp. There's been some open practices out there for, for a lot of the SEC schools. Not Florida. We haven't seen this team since they got their butts kicked by Oklahoma in, in the bowl game. So there's a lot of question out there uh, from media, from fans, just what this team's going to look like. And we'll get our first taste next Saturday. Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited to see it. I, I think uh, you know, when you got Willie Taggart coming to the swamp, yeah. finally. Finally, uh, yeah. I think a lot of people forget he didn't. He wasn't coaching FSU when they when, when they were in the swamp when he was supposed to be right. head coach. <laughs> so uh, all aboard the Willie bus, you know, we're, we're ready. And that's that USF uh, ad that was so funny. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what FAU has. We'll see what US. I'm excited to see Florida play a road game the second week of the year down in in Tampa. I think it's going to be quote, that'll quote, be unquote, great. quote unquote road game. Yeah, an unofficial road game. I mean, I'm excited just to see Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson in like a quarter of that environment. Yeah. Um, and then we all know what's coming after that. So, man, it's good. It's good to be talking ball again. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Dave, you're going to be watching some football Saturday, I bet, right? I will be, yeah. yeah. We, we, got yeah. Some, we, got, we got a little bit just to, just to get our palate wet and uh, yeah. just, just to tease us a little bit and then all in full force Labor Day weekend. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. man, I definitely would be watching. Uh, I kind of forget, but that UCLA Hawaii game, and you say, Yeah, and then UCLA plays LSU the very next week. So, UCLA will That's already right. have a game under their belt. LSU opens up with UCLA the very next week. So, be like, Oh, there we go. Just kind of keep an eye on that game to see what maybe UCLA and uh, old Chip Kelly's bringing to, to, to when they play LSU. That's right. That's right. Oh, man, it's gonna be good. So, finally, little- Nebraska is it Nebraska, Illinois? Yeah, yep, yeah, Nebraska, Illinois. Little excited, little Gator football, and then by the way, September second, that whole Labor Day weekend bonanza kicks off. You know, and you got Tennessee I mean, plays that Thursday night. Yeah, Tennessee and uh, Ohio State, Minnesota should be. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's for first games. That's uh, you don't you know on on a Thursday night we don't get those too often. Usually it's Thursday. Yeah. Night. I mean, I used to like it when South South Carolina had that string where they would kick off on Thursday night. Yeah. That was always pretty exciting. But uh, you don't get many big games. And uh, Ohio State, Minnesota, you know, a seven. On the, on the- speaking of speaking of young quarterbacks that yeah. are getting thrown right into the fire. I mean, he, good point. You know, we'll see. Yeah. CJ Stroud. Yeah, no more Justin not, Fields and Stroud in. So not as highly recruited as Emory Jones, but he's going to start for Ohio State on yeah. next Thursday. There we go. There we go. Looking, looking forward to it. Football. That's Neil Blackman. You can find his work at Saturday Down South. You can find him on Twitter as well at NW Blackman. Uh, there, uh, Neil. Quickly. I mean, I know a lot of people listen to you. Florida Basketball Hour uh, as well. Um, some quick, just some quick notes about the basketball team before we let you go. As we, you know, people will be fully tuned in for football season. But before, right before we hit the season, what are some uh, little news and nuggets for the basketball team? Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, you know, I think. Um... Definitely check out Florida Basketball Hour. I think Florida fans, I'm bullish on the Florida secondary this year. I'm also pretty bullish on the idea of Florida having an experienced roster. Um, They haven't in three seasons. So um, 
I think that the Gators are actually a little underrated, which would be the first time in three years because for the last two years, I think they've been overrated uh, entering a season. So it'll be interesting to see how they deal with being underrated. That's a very much like the football program, a very quiet operation. There's not a lot of leakage um, in terms of what you hear going on inside the building. They did fill the roster. Um, I know Eric Fawcett, my co-host and I were very surprised at the junior college edition and not in the most pleasant way. Uh, to be honest, I thought it was kind of weird uh, when they could have just kept that roster spot open for a midseason transfer in the age of the portal. Why take a flyer on a two-star Juco player? Seems very odd. Um, but we did like the other edition, the true freshman from Virginia, who was Mr. Virginia's basketball and just didn't get recruited because he had a horrible injury. Um, and it is fine and just lit up the Peach Jam, which is one of the best youth tournaments, Elijah Kennedy. So I think – you know, one great ad, one what ad, which I guess is kind of on brand for Mike White. Um, you know, but it, look, championship contender if Keontae's ever cleared, yeah. the longer this goes, uh, the longer that seems less likely. Let's just be realistic about it. I still think it's an underrated basketball team. You know, they're going to start four seniors, which is rare in this sport, and a team that – won the SEC last year, started four seniors. So, um, or finished second, sorry, Arkansas. So, you know, you can you can have a good team, and if you're old, and I think Florida's going to be old and, and really good defensively, uh, Keontae's the big wild card. Yeah, there you go. Good news with Castleton coming back as well to add to the yeah. offense, uh for, for this Gator basketball team. So, yeah, Neil Blackman, Eric Fawcett, you can catch those guys, Florida Basketball Hour podcast, very, very good. Butch like Gators breakdown here, all football all the time. Those guys over there, all basketball all the time. They have you covered for the, the basketball side of things for the Gators program, so go check them out uh, there as well. So, all right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Thanks to Neil there. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>